what the real gift of Christmas is, the hope that we even know that there is a gift at Christmas. And so my assignment this morning is to speak on the subject of hope and I just want to say right at the top end that this is not a deep theological teaching, this is more like an overview of hope and I think that uh, at the end of this session we'll have a better understanding of just what it is to have hope in something. It's the first of a four-week series. I think it's going to be a great series. And uh, next week we've got uh, Let There Be Joy. The following week, Let There Be Love. And then the final week, Christmas Eve, the lead pastor is going to be spending the whole night speaking on the subject Let There Be Light, which I think is sensational and the right subject to have on Christmas Eve. But today it's Let There Be Hope. But to get into this... I've really got to start on the downside by acknowledging the reality that there are some here who would feel without hope today. It's unquestionable that that's going to be the case. And for hope to have credibility, we have to acknowledge the hopelessness that abounds in our culture and messes with the lives of so many people. But let me say as loud as I possibly can that even though I begin by addressing the dark side of the soul called hopelessness, we're going to end in a lighter place, a place where hope abounds. I've done some research over the last couple of weeks to just work out what hope looks like and as much as I'm able, uh, here's a picture that I can draw for you of hope. This is the environment of hopelessness. It's feeling unworthy of love and care or support. It's feeling uh, totally abandoned and alone in a time of need. It's feeling uninspired by anything. It's feeling incapable of achieving any worthwhile goal in life. It's feeling crushed under the subjugation of a person or a group of people. Uh, it's feeling that you lack the right stuff to make it in the world. It's feeling weighed down by the doom and gloom that we experience at this present time. It's feeling captivated by somebody, either physically or emotionally. It's feeling vulnerable because of some traumatic experience you've had. It's feeling second rate because of things that you've done. That's the environment of hopelessness. That's what hopelessness looks like and feels like to a lot of people and there are going to be people here today who identify with either one or, or maybe even some of those phrases that I just mentioned and, and that creates a real cocoon of anxiety for people which manifests in things like uh, desperation, despondency and um, just being generally despairing of life itself. The mindset of anxiety produces this great dark cloud of hopelessness and sometimes it's so thick that you can almost hear the cry it's hopeless everything is hopeless and so people find themselves in this dark pit but don't give up that's the message this morning don't give up there is hope in this age of anxiety so we understand that or, or some of what hopelessness is by what I've just described but let's go to the, the other side of the coin the upside what is hope? what does hope look like? well to begin with it's 
not hoping that the Aussie cricket team is going to do better against the Pakistanis. That would be a miracle. And it's not hoping that the speaker isn't going to go too long today. That'd be another miracle. But one definition goes like this, and this comes straight out of the dictionary. It's a secular definition. It's a feeling of suspense that something you wish for may happen. See, a lot of times we think of hope in a positive sense, but the very hope for hope can bring a real sense of suspense because, yeah, will it happen or won't it happen? Will it or won't it? Am I going to get that breakthrough? Is the thing I'm hoping for really going to happen? So there's this suspense thing. Uh, an examination of the secular definitions of hope I discovered all show that they're based on feelings and emotions. And feelings and emotions are the perfect foundation for anxiety. So it's like we're caught in this, this cycle that just doesn't let us escape and, and get free. But I want to tell you that God's got a far superior definition of hope than that. After looking at countless scriptures, this is what I've landed on. Hope is the confident expectation and sure certainty of what God has promised for our good in his word is true. Hope is the confident expectation and the sure certainty that what God has promised for his good in his word is true. Instead of wishing that something will happen, a Christian bases their hope on their faith in God. A totally different perspective. All the way through the Bible we read, we read passages like, My hope is in you, God. Or, All the day long my hope is in you, Lord God. See, a Christian's hope is based on the unshakable, immovable, and eternal God. And that's what gives it substance. So the next question is, where do we find hope? Well, we find our hope in God. In other words, hope comes down from above. It begins above, and it filters down all of us here on planet earth in May 1940 World War II had only just begun and the victorious German advance across Europe had pushed the British expeditionary force into a corner onto the beaches at a place called Dunkirk they were totally trapped and everybody was just waiting to be wiped out or captured Almost 400,000 Allied troops were about to be taken out of the war. Winston Churchill, the great British wartime Prime Minister, addressed the Parliament saying uh, the, the very um, core, the very brain, the very root of the British Army is about to perish or be captured. And General Alan Brooke declared, it is hopeless, hopeless, hopeless only a miracle can save them and so this dark cloud of hopelessness hung over the British people as they waited for the unimaginable death toll to begin and the invasion of their country which would surely follow Churchill rapidly put a plan together for the Navy to evacuate as many soldiers as possible 
but at best they expected that the Navy would be able to rescue maybe about 40,000. Maybe. That's one in every 10. And under this dark cloud of hopelessness and despair that gripped the whole nation, one voice spoke up. It was the voice of King George VI. He stepped up and he called for a national day of prayer. And so this great prayer service was held in Westminster Abbey. And as men and women began to leave the abbey after prayer that day, they talked about this unexplained sense of expectation that was kind of birthed within them that something extraordinary was about to take place. They couldn't really understand why they were feeling so suddenly optimistic. See, hope had come down from above. Listen to what happened. Hitler ordered a stop to the advance of the troops and ordered the Air Force to bomb and strap the army right out of existence. That was his plan. So he held his army back and sent his Air Force in. Second thing, then the skies became so heavily overcast that the activities of the German Air Force were severely limited. They couldn't even see the troops on the beaches. The English Channel became the calmest it had been in decades. Not in years, but in decades. And without being formally organised, over 900 small ships, crewed by civilians, sailed across the channel in the calm seas and began to pick up the stranded troops. 338,000 were saved to fight again another day. In the aftermath of that incredible week, some spoke about this amazing set of circumstances, coincidences that took place over the week of the evacuation and saved the army and the nation. Amazing coincidences, they said. Listen, when people humble themselves and pray, amazing coincidences always take place. And when people stop praying, the coincidences also stop happening. Feeling without hope today? I wonder what would happen in your circumstances. I wonder what would happen to that dark cloud of hopelessness that is maybe hovering over you if you started to pray. I believe hope would come down and you'd see a miracle in your circumstances. There's a time in the history of Israel when the cloud of hopelessness was thick about them as well. They'd turned their backs on the values that God had laid out for their nation and the result was that in 586 BC, the whole nation was taken into exile to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Babylon is what we know today as uh, Iraq. The sense of hopelessness that they felt was so great that it's still remembered two and a half thousand years later. And we read about it in the Psalms. And in fact, a song was written about it some years ago. And back in the 1970s, uh, it got to the top of the hit parades. Some of you might remember it. And just in case you don't, this might help you a little. 
choreography. Don't miss the choreography. I think that's enough. <laughs> Who remembers that song? Uh, some of us do. We've all got grey hair though, we do. Well, so, some of us anyway. Choreography though, isn't that cool? <laughs> but the point is, the despair was so great, so great, that all I could do was sit down and think back to how good it had been before they rebelled against God. And something miraculous took place. In Jeremiah 29 verse 10 and 11 we read these words. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Talking about Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Incredible words of hope. And in a moment, hope came down. Hope had come down. You know, wherever you are today, regardless of where you come from, what you've done, there is hope for you also today. And can I just say again, don't ever give up hoping because God is gracious and he's got a plan and he's got a purpose for every one of us in this room. And he wants to give it to you. It's part of, the, part of the gift of Christmas. Call out to God and hope will come down. We are not a people without hope. And that hope was realised for ancient Israel because God had given his word. And they did return to their homeland. You know, you'd think after an experience like that, 70 years in exile, that they'd return and live God-honouring lives. But it didn't happen like that at all. They didn't. Again, they turned their backs on God. And again, they suffered the outcomes of living outside of God's plan and God's purpose. And can I say that much of our hopelessness is founded on our rebellion against God and our refusal to live God-honouring lives. A lot of times people say, I'm in this place because of bad luck and because of the circumstances that everyone else has heaped on me. But can I say, and I, I want to say this sensitively, much of the despair, much of the hopelessness we feel comes about because of our rebelliousness against God. We place ourselves in circumstances where God's hand is lifted. And so we find ourselves in these dark pits. So Israel ended into hundreds of years <coughs> of foreign occupation by the Roman Empire because of this ongoing rebelliousness. But always there was this hope that God would be gracious and forgiving and come and rescue them again. And that's exactly what he did. 
You know, one thing I know about God from being a follower of his for the past almost 60 years is that God can't help himself. He can't help but be himself. And that is gracious and loving. It's inherent in his nature. So that's what he does. He always forgives and he's always outrageously gracious to anyone who will receive his forgiveness and his grace regardless of what you may have done. Regardless of what you may have done. You may be sitting here this morning and thinking my life is such a mess I've done so much bad. Regardless of that. Regardless of that bad. God's forgiveness is there for you. His grace is there for you. Hope abounds. And so Israel finds themselves in this place of hopelessness yet again after centuries of rebelliousness. And then one night, 2,000 years ago, the night we call the first Christmas, hope came down again. It came at exactly the right time historically, exactly the right time economically, exactly the right time politically Paul says it like this in Galatians 4 4 but when the time had fully come God sent his son at exactly the right time hope always comes at exactly the right time and let me say God is always on time delivering his promises regarding uh, regardless of our impatience and even our demands at times for a quick fix answer but today is the right time for you. Today, hope can come down again. Now, a bunch of blue-collar workers looking after some smelly sheep on the hillside outside an insignificant little village called Bethlehem had an experience that scared the life out of them. And I can assure you that the angels that they saw that night were nothing like the angels we saw a bit earlier in our program. It scared the life out of them. The whole night sky was filled with angels singing and it really freaked them out. And then the head angel told them, don't be afraid. You've got nothing to be scared of because the Christ, which you've been hoping for all these centuries, has finally arrived on planet Earth. See, this is the gift of God that is available for us in this Christmas season. Jesus is still the reason for the season and by the way can you believe the angel actually said that you know, don't be afraid don't be afraid <laughs> no angel I'm not afraid why would I be afraid <laughs> I often picture myself out on that hillside in the boots of those shepherds <laughs> you know the thing that you've been hoping for for a long time if your hope is based on the promises in God's word, you can be sure that at the proper time it will happen. Remember the definition of hope is the confident expectation and the sure certainty that what God has promised for our good in his word is true. That's the true definition of of hope regardless of the fact that the people that once again drifted away from the values of God and his principles for life our loving and forgiving and gracious God was once again pouring out this outrageous love on all of mankind. Never had hope been more real than with the coming of Jesus.
and nothing has ever been the same since Jesus came. God's desire for relationship with us was so great that he came to earth in the form of his son Jesus to be flesh and blood amongst us so that we could have a close-up personal relationship with him. Relationship with God up until that time had been very complicated. It involved rules and regulations and a huge amount of ceremonial things which left men and women really confused and struggling to understand what God was really like. So what was God like was the question. What are you really like God? And even Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, asked that question one day. It's in John 14, 9. He says, and this is the answer that Jesus gave after uh, Philip asked the question, he who has seen me has seen the Father. See, no longer was it confusing, no longer was it difficult to understand because Jesus had come. Hope had come down because Jesus had come to tell all of humankind about the way back to relationship with God. The good news that Jesus shared was all about relationship and reconciliation with God the Father. And all we've got to do is put our trust in him, ask him to forgive us for our rebelliousness, stop being rebellious, and then ask him to lead us through the rest of our lives, to be Lord of our lives. And that good news, which we call the gospel, is where we place our hope. It's the foundation of hope, the gospel. Regardless of the circumstances of our lives, because our hope is in him, our lives can be transformed. It's an amazing thing. You can look at yourself this morning, you can feel hopeless about ever changing, ever becoming the kind of man or woman that you know deep down you should be. You can have hope today if you put your faith in Christ to transform your life and change it. A life with Jesus as the one who gives leadership to our life is a life filled with hope, overflowing with hope in fact, and it breaks us out of that hopeless cycle that we talked about that describes what it is to be without hope at the beginning. Hope in Jesus breaks that cycle. When Jesus came, his message was essentially, let there be hope. He said it over and over in many different ways. And ever since, humankind has had hope because Jesus has made a pathway back to God who is the source of our hope. Humankind must have hope. We're built that way. We're wired that way. We must have hope. And since Jesus came... There have been countless numbers of people through the ages who have taken advantage of the message of hope that Jesus offers. Jesus spoke to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands responded to his message of hope. And his disciples then travelled around the then known world spreading the good news about the hope that can be found in a relationship with Jesus. See, once hope had arrived, it couldn't be kept confined and people embraced it and received it and from India to Spain the disciples preached this message of hope some say they went as far as Great Britain who knows but the disciples preached the good news of the gospel of hope and it took root as lives were transformed by the power of God all over the world the gospel of hope has been preached increasingly all over the world down through the past 2,000 years. I was in Florence, Italy, 
last year in a museum I saw the Bible of Marco Polo I'd only ever heard about Marco Polo as a great adventurer and explorer and trader I had never heard of Marco Polo the devout Christian who shared the message of hope all the way from Venice to China and back see the message of hope was spreading all throughout the world the great messenger of hope over most of the last century and almost up until this very day has been the American evangelist William Franklin Graham better known around the world simply as Billy Graham now Billy Graham has spoken personally to more people about the hope that comes from a relationship with God than anyone else in human history He's spoken personally to over 300 million people and hundreds of millions more on television and radio and more recently on multimedia. Some say that his message of hope has been heard by 2 billion people. His mass crusades on every continent in some cities have drawn crowds of over a million people at a time. Nations have been changed by his passionate message of hope and it was Billy Graham's visits to England in 1946 and 1947 and then the great London crusade of 1954 that brought hope to a nation that was still ravaged by war the impact on Great Britain in 1954 in particular changed the course of British history so say secular historians when Winston Churchill heard of the huge crowds that came to hear him in London he asked Billy Graham to come to number 10 Downing Street the Prime Minister's residence for a private meeting and Billy Graham tells in his autobiography how Churchill referred to his sense of hopelessness at least nine times in their conversation and asked him how he could overcome it this great man Churchill was looking for a hope Churchill then kept the Duke of Windsor waiting for a lunchtime appointment while Billy Graham opened the Bible and explained the way of salvation and then prayed with Winston Churchill I was a small boy of only 11 years of age when my parents took me to a Billy Graham crusade in Brisbane at the exhibition grounds it was 1959 there were 80,000 other people at the exhibition ground that day in the arena it's still a ground record and I heard him declare that the only hope for humankind was to have a life transforming relationship with Jesus Christ and so along with 3,000 other souls and with my heart almost jumping out of my chest I walked to the front of the platform and made a public confession of faith in Jesus Christ that was 57 years ago Billy Graham had mass meetings in other cities around Australia and the crowd of over 143,000 at the MCG is still a ground record and if you listen very carefully on grand final day you'll often hear the AFL commentators a little bit ticked off that the biggest crowd at the MCG was to see a preacher but everywhere he went it was the same message the only hope for mankind was a relationship with Jesus 
And almost 60 years after that first visit to Australia, historians agree that Australia was impacted by his message of hope. Over 150,000 Australians made a faith decision during his visit. That translates to about three in every 200 people in Australia made a faith decision. And in the immediate years after the visit, crime was down, divorce rates were down, and there was an overall peace on the streets that has never been repeated. At a major Christian event in Sydney in 1985, 30, listen to this, 30 of 42 ministers on the stage had come to Christ at the Billy Graham Crusades in 1959. You can only guess at the numbers who have come to Christ as a result of the ministries of those men and women. Billy Graham has had more personal influence over world leaders than any other single human being in history. Big statement, but a true statement. You can Google it. He's met with and prayed with kings and queens and presidents, prime ministers, chancellors and even dictators. He's been a personal confidant and pastor to every US president from Truman to George W. Bush. And today, as a man of 99 years of age, he is still voted America's most respected man. I googled just this morning and uh, Gallup rates Billy Graham in the 10 most respected people on the planet every year for the last 58 years. One of the presidents was asked why he allowed Graham so much privileged access and his answer was simple, because his message brings hope. So why have I taken some time to talk about Billy Graham like this? Well, I've mentioned him like this to highlight the impact that the gospel which brings hope has had on people and nations. And in case you wonder, this spectacular ministry of Billy Graham's is not a one-off. Today around the world there are literally thousands of Billy Graham's. No one of them is drawing the crowds that he did, but all of them are preaching this same message of hope that is seeing millions come to faith in Christ. Christianity as a result today, as a result of this wonderful, sensational message of hope, is growing faster than the world's population growth. Christianity is still by far the fastest growing faith in the world. And at this Christmas season, it's worth knowing that the influence of the Christ child that came into the world that first Christmas 2,000 years ago is increasing. It's not decreasing. Now, some of that doesn't compute with us because we live in this Western country and in a Western society. Uh, we make these kinds of statements and we think, can this possibly be true? How can we possibly believe this? Well, we just simply not receiving the reports of what's happening spiritually because we live in a, in a secular society in the West with a hostile media and a general anti-theist sentiment from the establishment. It's simply not reported. But just because we're not seeing this explosive growth in Western countries like here in Australia, it doesn't change the fact that this message of hope is affecting the world and releasing the world this very day. Millions the world over are receiving the hope that only a faith in God can bring. 
Yet a cloud of hopelessness still overshadows many. There's wars taking place, innocents being slaughtered by rogue armies, militant Islamic terrorists are on the loose. Hundreds of thousands of refugees are on the march, looking for hope and security in a safer environment. The state of the world seems hopeless, and the state of our own lives sometimes seems hopeless. But on that first Christmas, hope came down in the person of Jesus, and it's here today. It's here this morning. About 670 BC, when Israel was in one of those dark places of the soul through rebellion, the prophet Isaiah brought a message of hope when he spoke of the Messiah to come. It's recorded in Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You know, if you ever need proof that the Bible is real, this is it. You can't make this kind of stuff up because 700 years later, after Isaiah wrote those words, Jesus came down. Hope was realised. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. He says, <coughs> and this is when he entered the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And when Jesus had finished reading this, he looked them all in the eye and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the prophet predicted 700 years earlier that Jesus would say these words. Hope had come down. It's so exciting. Hope came down that first Christmas and it stayed with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let there be hope. None of us are without hope today regardless of our circumstances because hope has come down to live amongst us. God is with us. Emmanuel. Whatever your circumstances are this morning, whatever brings that sense of hopelessness that you may feel, can I just say again, put your faith in God because he is the source of our hope. Let him come down into your life and watch your circumstances change. I'm going to finish the service this morning by listening to a song which I believe the Holy Spirit will use to serve you right where you are. If you're feeling hopeless this morning, listen carefully. Allow these words to filter into your spirit and touch your life and bring the hope that only Jesus can bring.